the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, everybody. Forgive the little noises. I am adjusting my microphone. Ah. Oh, they're continuing. Is there going to be anything new? So yesterday had dramatic... I'm Dennis Prager, by the way. Yesterday had dramatic footage, and I mean it. It is dramatic footage, some of it very ugly. And why they didn't, in their opening statement, show videos which could have lasted all month of what the left has done to this country in terms of violence, riots, and killings uh, is beyond me. I did not find one of the lawyers, I think the first lawyer, terribly effective. But I am not alone in believing that. As a general rule, in all of history, the good guys or the, the better guys uh, do not know how to fight. I, I don't know exactly why that is, but it is. They're all horrified by the video of what took place January 6th and horrify them exponentially by showing what the left did to this country while Democrats cheered, as opposed to Republicans' repugnance. That should be a point that is made there. You might as well use the national forum that you have if indeed people are watching. I have no idea if people are watching. I, uh, you have to be very, very interested uh, in politics in general, or specifically in Donald Trump, uh, to uh, watch all of this. But uh, I, I don't know. That would be... Be a very interesting thing to find out. Welcome to the show, my friends. Sean, would you please get Tucker Carlson opening statement? Last night, Tucker Carlson went through another gigantic lie of the left. Insurrection is a lie. America as a racist Good country. Evening. Welcome to Tucker Carlson okay, tonight. So it's listen funny to how this. change happens. You thought the big change came on election day. That's when the incumbent president lost. But that turned out to be nothing compared to the change that came two months later. On January 6th, supporters of Donald Trump swarmed the Capitol building. Some forced their way inside. And Washington has never been the same. It may never be the same. As a result of what happened on January 6th, your descendants will live in a very different country. It was a pivot point in our history looking back. Some in Congress have compared that day to 9-11. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has likened it to Pearl Harbor, the day that spurred America's entry into the Second World War. Every day we hear new and more florid comparisons from Democratic partisans. But last night, CNN outdid all of them. Chernobyl? The Bhopal disaster? The Irish potato famine? No. What happened on January 6th was worse than any of that. It was, CNN told us, very much like the Rwandan genocide. 
The idea of otherizing people is something I think we saw a lot of over the last four years. I mean, it's something we've seen a lot over the last decades. But it's so easy to otherize people, to make people other than, other than American, other than patriotic, other than, than human. You know, and we've seen it in Bosnia. We've seen it in Rwanda, where radio was telling people that, you know, Hutus were telling the radio listeners that Tutsi were cockroaches, for, you know, getting them ginned up for genocide. The Rwandan genocide, that's what it was like. Keep in mind that close to a million people were murdered in Rwanda in 1994. That's about 70% of all ethnic Tutsis in the country. Entire towns were hacked to death with machetes. They were set on fire, crushed alive by bulldozers. Hundreds of thousands of women were raped. It was among the most horrifying crimes in human history. How does a country recover from something like that, from a genocide? Well, first, obviously, you punish the guilty quickly and severely. In our case, you impeach him. But then, and this is more important, you set about reordering your society from top to bottom to make certain nothing like that ever happens again. So you purge the military. You suspend basic civil liberties. To emphasize the point, you send troops to the capital. You tear down the old. You destroy all vestiges of the past in order to save the future. That's what's going on now. But hold on. Before we remake America to prevent future genocide at the Capitol, maybe we should know a little bit more about the crime that occurred on January 6th, if only to understand the justification for overturning our lives permanently. What exactly did happen that day? Simple question. You may be surprised to learn how little we know even now. In fact, it's remarkable how many of the most basic questions remain unanswered more than a month after the fact. Let's start with the headline of the day. Five Americans died on the Capitol grounds on January 6th. You've heard that. You hear it incessantly, including from Republican office holders. Five dead. But that doesn't really tell you very much. It's the details, as always, that matter. Who were these people and how did they die? That's how you understand what actually happened. So with that in mind, here are the facts as of tonight. Four of the five who died that day were Trump supporters. The fifth was a Capitol Hill police officer who apparently also supported Donald Trump. Why is this relevant? Of course, the political views of the deceased shouldn't matter. But unfortunately, in this case, they do. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and many other elected Democrats claim the mob was coming for them that day. Yet the only recorded casualties on January 6th were people who voted for Donald Trump. The first among them was the 34-year-old woman from Georgia called Roseanne Boyland. Authorities first announced that Boylan died of a, quote, medical emergency. Later video footage suggested she may have accidentally been trampled by the crowd. We're still not sure that's the best guess. The second casualty was 55-year-old Kevin Greeson. Greeson died of heart failure while talking to his wife on a cell phone outside the Capitol. Quote, Kevin had a history of high blood pressure, his wife later said, and in the midst of the excitement, he suffered a heart attack, end quote. The third was 50-year-old Benjamin Phillips of Ringtown, Pennsylvania. Phillips was a Trump supporter who organized a bus trip to Washington for the rally that day. He died of a stroke on the grounds of the Capitol. There is no evidence that Phillips rioted or was injured by rioters or even went inside the Capitol building. The fourth, fourth person to die, the only person to die that day of intentional violence, was 35-year-old Ashley Babbitt, a military veteran from San Diego. Babbitt was wearing a Trump cape when she was shot to death by a Capitol Hill police lieutenant. Babbitt's death was caught on video, so hers is the best documented death that took place that day. And yet it is surprising how little we know about it. Babbitt was shot as she tried to crawl through a broken window into the speaker's lobby within the Capitol. And that's essentially the extent of what we know. 
Authorities have refused to release the name of the man who shot her or divulge any details of the investigation they say they've done. We may never know exactly why this unnamed Capitol Hill police officer took her life. According to that officer's attorney, quote, there is no way to look at the evidence and think that he is anything but a hero. Of course, we can't actually look at that evidence because they're withholding it. We can't even know his identity. Killing an unarmed woman may be justified under certain specific circumstances. But since when is it, quote, heroic when the dead woman has read QAnon websites? Republicans aren't asking that question. One Republican member of Congress from Oklahoma says he immediately hugged the officer who shot Ashley Babbitt. You did what you had to do, the congressman said. But did the officer really have to do that? We don't know. It would be nice to know. Maybe someone could ask. We do know that Ashley Babbitt was not holding a weapon when she was killed. Nevertheless, at the impeachment hearing this week, Congressman David Cicilline of Rhode Island described what happened at the Capitol as, quote, an armed insurrection. Watch. He incited an armed, angry mob to riot. On inciting an armed insurrection against the United States government, an armed, angry, and dangerous crowd, armed violence against the government of the United States of America. David Cicilline is a former mafia lawyer from Providence, so presumably he knows what it is to commit a felony with a firearm. Doubtless he does. There are no reports of rioters at the Capitol building that day discharging weapons or threatening anyone with a gun. So what exactly is David Cicilline talking about? Well, apparently he's referring to the death of Officer Brian Sicknick. In the hours after the riot, the New York Times reported that Trump supporters had brutally beaten Officer Sicknick to death with a fire extinguisher. The fire extinguisher, apparently, is the deadly weapon, the armed in the armed insurrection. Now, the news of Sicknick's death by violence was quickly picked up by countless other media outlets. Cable television anchors repeated and then amplified it. Officer Brian Sicknick died after being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher during the hours-long attack. They beat a Capitol Police officer to death with a fire extinguisher. Officer Brian Sicknick died after being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher during the fight. He died at the age of 42 after he was bludgeoned with a fire extinguisher. Capitol Hill police officer beaten to death with a fire extinguisher by a white supremacist mob. It's horrifying. And that is the story they were telling. It's a story they still are telling. That account forms the basis of All the right, myth well, the Democrats have a have couple of more minutes. This is so, so critical to this country. The five were not killed by the mob. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, Dennis Prager here again with a message for anyone struggling with pain. Of course, I want you to know about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that tens of thousands are now taking every day. I take it every day. I like being out of pain. But I know you may be skeptical. I certainly was. Then I kept hearing about all the people, including my wife, who were no longer in pain. So I decided to give it a try. In fact, listen to Janice's story. I was skeptical at first. But because of the pain that I was having when I would uh, substitute teach and have to climb stairs, so I have lower back, hip, and even knee pain. And after about three weeks, I found that I could climb stairs pain-free. But it wasn't only pain-free. I could do it step over step without holding on the railing. I'm really happy. It's, it makes me feel like I'm young again. That's relieffactor.com or call 800 500 800
The fact is, the Internet never forgets. There has never been a more important time to protect your Internet activity. It's why I urge you to get ExpressVPN. Everything you search for, watch, or click online can be tracked by big tech companies. They can then match your activity to your true identity using your device's unique IP address. When I switch to ExpressVPN with my computer or phone, my IP address is masked. Plus, you can use ExpressVPN on up to five devices simultaneously. So multiple users on your network can stay safe with a single subscription. That's why they're rated the number one VPN by CNET and Wired. Take back your online privacy with the VPN I trust at expressvpn.com slash Prager. By visiting my link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Prager, expressvpn.com slash Prager. Just know you're not alone. All right, my friends, we'll go back in a moment. I rarely do this, play something at an extended length. But his monologue was so filled with information, you keep hearing five dead, five killed, five dead. And... It's very painful for me to say, there is no joy in me to say that truth is not a left-wing value, but it isn't. It's, see, people on all parts of the spectrum lie, but only one part of the spectrum doesn't think lying is wrong, and that's the left. In the name of furthering their power, you can lie. In fact, you should lie. Russian collusion with the Trump campaign, three-year lie, as an example. The latest lie is five were five dead as a result of the mob entering the Capitol, including the fire extinguisher death, which I never reported to you. I, I didn't, I didn't know if it actually happened. First of all, if the New York Times reports it, I am always dubious, and it turns out for good reason in this case, as an example. They they are the mouthpiece of the left. That is how journalists, quote-unquote, at the New York Times see their role in life. It is not to, as dispassionately as possible, report truth. It is to further the cause of social justice as they understand it. That is the purpose of left-wing clergy. That is the purpose of left-wing journalists. That is the purpose of left-wing teachers. That is the purpose of left-wing late-night comedians. That is the purpose of left-wing athletes, is to further your agenda. So everything you do is subservient to furthering that agenda. That is why I have called it my entire life a substitute for religion. It is a secular religion. And secular religions in the modern age are far more fanatical than God-based religions. No religion, well, yeah, even, even including Islamic terrorism, no religion has come close in the modern era to extinguishing life as communism and Nazism, two secular movements. Never learned that at college, I'll bet, huh? 
Hey, boys and girls. Well, they can't say boys and girls anymore because that, that imputes a gender identity. Hey, humans. Did you ever think about the fact that the bigger the government, the more likely there is to be genocide? Really? Yeah. It's very hard, except actually, ironically, with the... Uh, with the example of the Hutus and Tutsis in Rwanda, that that was a, not a big government uh, massacre. That was a tribal massacre, which is why we have nationalism, so that we end tribalism. Do you know that Barry Weiss, former New York Times reporter, she showed a, a mailing sent out by, uh, I will get you the name of the school, one of the most expensive schools, I think, in, in Los Angeles, that they will be telling parents there is separate hours for white parents to meet with faculty and black parents and separate meetings for black faculty and white faculty. And this is called progressive. Get it? Imagine that. If you'd have shown this to a liberal 15 years ago, they would have said this is from the Old South. Yeah, it makes sense. White parents meet separately and black parents meet separately. As Barry Weiss asked, what happens to mixed-race parents? I guess they go to both. That's, that's cool. They, should have, they really should have a th- third category like they did in South Africa. There was colored, European, and mixed. That's how it was called. I, I was there. One day I should tell you about that. Anyway, let's go back to Tucker Carlson here. And uh, his uh, his description of the lie told by all the networks and the New York Times about the fire extinguisher death. And, again, every one of those – none were killed, it turns out. Apparently, none were killed except for a Trump supporter climbing through a broken window. And why they're not releasing the name of the officer when it's the first thing they do when a police officer kills a black uh, is proof of the corruption uh, in our country. It is just I have never spoken about America and corruption until I came to realize it, what the left has done to our institutions. They, they have corrupted every institution they have touched. And it makes sense when a John Brennan was a communist and hasn't changed any of his views, just changed his title. Let's, uh, that, and that's just CIA. Let's continue with Tucker Carlson and the officer who reportedly was killed, smashed, bludgeoned by and with a fire extinguisher. January 6th. Signings remains lay in state at the Capitol building. Streams of politicians, the very same people who just months before had told us that cops were racist by definition, those same people praised Brian Sicknick as a hero. They had finally found a police officer who served their political uses. Kamala Harris and her husband, for example, arrived to pay their respects, and as they did, they said not one thing about defunding the police. But in fact, the story they told was a lie from beginning to end. Officer Sicknick was not beaten to death, not with a fire extinguisher, not with anything else. According to an exhaustive and fascinating new analysis on Revolver News, 
There's no evidence that Brian Sicknick was hit with a fire extinguisher at any point during the day. None. No video. Nothing. The officer's body apparently bore no signs of trauma. In fact, on the night of January 6th, long after rioters at the Capitol had been arrested or dispersed, Brian Sicknick texted his brother from his office. According to his brother, Sicknick said he'd been, quote, pepper sprayed twice and he was in good shape. 24 hours later, Officer Brian Sicknick was dead. How did Officer Sicknick die? The head of the Capitol Police Union has said he had a stroke, no cause given. More than that, we still don't know. Sicknick's body was cremated immediately. Authorities have refused to release his autopsy. No one has been charged in his why death. Have authorities, no charges why are have pending. authorities refused to release his autopsy? Because the Democrats are in charge in D.C. and they lie. They're corrupt. That's why there is no other answer. Please continue. Death, no charges are pending. Whatever happened to Brian Sicknick was tragic, obviously. But it was also very different from what they have told us. They have lied about how he died. They've lied about a lot. For example, how did this riot start? Was it a spontaneous event incited by a all reckless right, president we'll that on for his now. way out? I just wanted you to hear about the five. That's all they talk about. Five died, five killed. We'll be back. The Dennis Prager Show. My friends, I'm Dennis Prager, and I have in the studio a young woman. And when I mean young, I mean 20. Amala Ekpunobi, E-K-P-U-N-O-B-I. And the ID I have on my screen is she is an Instagram sensation. When I when I hear a twenty year old woman is an Instagram sensation, my, my first thought is she was posing in some <laughs> <laughs> I don't know much about Instagram, but that's a pretty famous part of it. Uh, that's not the case here, and we're going to find out why she is. She's a Prager Force member. She is from Central Florida. Her father is Nigerian, and her mother is American white. And Amala, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Thank you for having me, Dennis. It's a pleasure. So your story is a an important one, and I'd like you all to know that one of the reasons Amala is on is to give you hope. Uh, there are I, – I am not despairing, Okay. I do not in any way, as you all know, understate the crisis of this country. It is the greatest crisis since the Civil War, and it is the only one in the history of America since before 1776 to have such widespread suppression of speech. That was the one thing Americans took for granted. It was the sweet land of liberty. As I have said, given that the French socialists have objected to America's suppression of speech and woke culture, maybe they'll take the Statue of Liberty back. If they offered to, I think it would be a wake-up call to Americans about what the left is doing. In any event, uh, we have uh, Amala, and you, your story, I only know a little. You grew up politically on the left, is that correct? Yes. So tell us about your mom. 
So uh, I was raised by a single mother. My parents divorced when I was around six years old. So I grew up with her influence. And she happens to be a fundraiser for a major left-leaning organization over in Central Florida. So she was my main influence growing up. And that's where I got all of my ideology and all of my beliefs, which happened to be socialist and atheist. So I grew up as a very angry angry liberal, if you would call it that. And I was very vocal about my beliefs. And of course, I was spitting out socialist ideology to anybody who would listen to me. And I was so passionate about it that when I graduated high school at the age of 17, I started working for that organization as a youth organizer. You used a magic word when you said angry. Uh, I I say on an almost a daily basis, there are happy and unhappy conservatives, happy and unhappy liberals, but all leftists are unhappy. Mm-hmm. I've also said that if you uh, go to college or now high school, you get a degree in anger. Is that fair? That is a very fair assessment across the board. Was your mother angry? Is she angry? My mother is very angry, unfortunately, uh, virtually on any topic that you can think of and bring up. There is always this air of anger to it, and I'm, I'm not sure why, but that seems to be the story on the left. It does indeed. Before we learn about uh, your, your eventual awakening, if I may use that term, mm-hmm. to the extent... and. I'm not at all prying into your family life. I'm using this as really a macro issue, but I have a human being to tell her story. So if if there's anything that's uncomfortable, don't hesitate not to answer. Sure. Do you know at all anything about your mother's upbringing? So she was raised by my grandparents, who happened to be very conservative. And for most of her life, up until the point that she went to college, she was pretty conservative uh, in lifestyle and in her beliefs. And she went to uh, university in Charleston. And when she came out of university, life had changed and she was not, she was no longer a conservative. What year did she go? What years did she go to college? Oh, I'm not too sure about the timeline there. Well, when was she born? What year? She was born. So right now she is 51 years old. So... So 51 from 2021, <laughs> 1970. 1970. Okay, so go. she went to college, we would say, uh, in the 80s. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, or even early 90s. Yeah. Right. So, yes, by then, certainly, going to college meant an indoctrination in, in anger. Absolutely. So how did your grandparents react to her transformation? My grandparents remain very neutral when it comes to politics. They don't like to assert themselves. When the topic is brought up, it's always a very bombastic argument about uh, whatever whatever issue is brought up. So we tend to avoid that at all costs in our family. How long are your parents married? My parents were married, I want to say... I'm not, I'm not too sure how long they were married. My father wasn't really in my life that much. I have very few memories of him, and it's not something that we discuss. All right. We'll be often. back in a moment with Amala Ekpunobi. Hello, my friends. I'm Dennis Prager, a remarkable young woman, 20 years old, Amala Ekpunobi. 
She's a member of Prager Force. She actually spoke to the board of the directors of Prager University at a board meeting uh, this week. And we're very, very happy we found you and happy you found us. We'll get to that in a moment. So just to recap, Amala is the daughter of a Nigerian father and American white mother. And they, uh, they separated when she was six. And that's her. Uh, that's the personal story in a nutshell. Her mother was, as a result of college, as she became a, a person of the left. So, were you raised? You were raised on the left. Absolutely. Was there, when you were fifteen, mm-hmm. was there a voice in you saying, "Is this all correct?" Or you pretty much believed it. And when I was 15, I was completely indoctrinated by the left. You could not reach me if you jumped in my head and gave me your own ideas. And I was, like I said, extremely angry. Anybody who wanted to pick a fight with me, I was there to argue and I was there to spout the talking points and the buzzwords. Well, here's a question I don't know if you're asked often. Did you buy the line that uh, being a person of color you were persecuted? Absolutely. And Amazing. it was it was ingrained into me from a very young age, uh-huh. actually. Uh-huh. So growing up with my mother, so I... So you grew up thinking pretty much America is systemically racist yes. and, and had it in for you. Yes, absolutely. If I'd have asked you when you were 15, so... How has America's systemic racism and the the universality of white prejudice against blacks, how has that actually affected you? What would you have answered? I would not have had an answer. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think any of them, uh, them meaning people of color who believe, people of color on the left, uh, people and whites on the left don't either. Mm-hmm. It's the It's the greatest lie. And and it's backed up with with nothing. It's it's backed up with studies. It is, but but not real life. I, it is it is somewhat of a, a you, you'll you you'll find this of interest. I think I've been doing radio for thirty five years, and I have a lot of black listeners, which I'm delighted to say. And every so often, I will get a call about Dennis. You don't know what it is to walk in a black person's shoes. I don't know what it is to walk in my wife's shoes. I'm not being cute. No one knows what it's like to walk in anybody else's shoes. That's that's the human condition. The, the caller doesn't know what it's like to walk in my shoes. All right. So I say, okay, and if I walked in your shoes, what would I experience? Well, tell you the truth, every day I experience racism. Mm-hmm. So I've had an answer for 35 years, and it's an honest answer. Okay, if it happens every day, what happened today? Mm. And then they say, well, day's not over. Okay, okay. what happened yesterday? Because yesterday is over. And there's never, I've never in 35 years gotten a response from someone claiming to experience racism every day. But you, so you wouldn't have had an answer at 15. I would not have had an answer. And it's funny enough, I grew up in a very conservative, mostly white area in central Florida. And I was extremely successful. I was top of my class. I graduated valedictorian. And 
you still would have come up to me and asked me about it. And I would have said that America was systemically racist, even though I had not experienced any of it. And that's how corrupt our media is. That's how corrupt our schooling system is. And their influence is very strong, especially with young people. God, I love her. I do. What am I going to tell you? Thank you. <laughs> so what happened? What Did you wake up one day? Was there an, a, a theophany? Did you have a burning bush like Moses? What happened? <laughs> so what happened for me was I graduated at 17. I wasn't too keen on going straight into college, and I started working for my mother's organization as a youth organizer. And for me, my target audience was anybody from the age of 13 to 18. So I would travel around to schools and find their, their Democratic clubs or their left-leaning students, and I would talk to them about coming and working for the organization. And that involved going to our education seminars, getting involved with protests, going around and canvassing and door knocking. And I put myself in a position where I was a role model to young people and they had plenty of questions for me and they were questions that I could not answer. And I went to my superiors and I asked these questions and I saw a lot of hate and I got a lot of hate in return. So I had to go out and seek my own answers. And that's how I came to be a conservative. Can you can you give an example? Can you do you remember what some of those questions might have been? So a lot of it was what can I do as a person to stop this racism and can you give me examples of numbers and and things like that that can that I can prove to people that this is happening in America. They wanted proof of what I was saying, that America is systemically racist, that we are oppressed, that we live in a patriarchal society and I could not provide that proof to these young children. Well, the the left would give a standard answer, for example, the disproportionate number of blacks in prison. Mm -hmm. So would you have an answer to that? As In other words, at, at 17, would that have been a convincing response that America is systemically racist? At 17, that would have convinced me hook, line, and sinker. I would well, have Well, you're only it. 20, so we're talking about a recent change. Yes. So... It was it was that you started asking questions? Yes. So I experienced a lot of hate working for the left. I realized I was a very angry person. When I went into work each day, it felt like, okay, there are things you can and cannot say. We need to stick in that. You have to agree with everything on all sides of the spectrum or you're not with us. And there was a lot of hate, particularly for white people. And I had spoken with a supervisor and I said, you know, I'm half white. Am I supposed to hate that half of me? Am I supposed to hate the family? Okay, so let me just say the day you asked that, it was over. Yes. That is why they don't want five-minute videos. Yep. It doesn't take long to burst the leftist bubble. Yep. We'll be back in a moment with Amala Ekpunobi. The Dennis Prager Show. Amala Ekpunobi. Ekunobi is here. She is 20 years old. She's with Prager Force, father Nigerian, mother white American, raised a leftist. So we don't have a lot of time. I wish we did, actually. And we'll have to do a part two. But I said to you, the moment you asked, do I have to hate the white part of myself? Mm-hmm. I said, it would, that that's over for the left. Yep. So is there... Is there a date? Is there a moment? What happened? 
uh, there was multiple moments that I sort of fought back against in my mind and tried to reassert myself as a leftist, and it just did not work for me in the end. So that conversation went very poorly. It was not received well. That question was not received well. And I essentially got the response that I needed to understand that people were angry and that they had a right to be angry. And yes, that did apply to my white family. And there's something wrong with you if you're not angry. Yes. That's really important. So when did you discover whatever you discovered that was not leftist intellectually? It was a long road for me. So when those questions were not well received, I sort of went and did my own research to try to answer them. And I found PragerU, I found Thomas Sowell, I found Larry Elder, I found Michael Knowles, and I started falling down this rabbit hole of going through all these conservative videos where they were going through all the leftist talking points and debunking them one after the other. And you couldn't have convinced me any better than that. I knew I was doing the wrong thing. That's a pretty good diet. Prager yeah. you, Larry Elder, Thomas Sowell, and Michael Knowles, yes. I must say. It's an all-star team. <laughs> no, I, I know them well. They're in my life. I'm in their lives. And it, that that makes sense. So how has that affected your relations with your mother? We steer clear from politics. Mm-hmm. And she knows what I'm doing now. And she knows that I'm you know, spouting conservative ideology and trying to influence people. And she's not happy about it. She sort of told me before I left for this trip out to LA that I'm, I'm glad that you're using your powers. I'm proud of you that you're chasing your dreams, but I wish you were doing it for good instead of evil. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> I, I wish I could meet your mom. Tell your mom, by the way, she has a standing invitation to come on my show. Okay. I'm, I'm very serious. I'm sure she'll take you and up. I, I, good, because very few people on the left do, and I promise you I will treat her very civilly. I'm sure. And my first question would be, what do we spout that's evil? Mm-hmm. I, I'd be very interested to know. Turns out we're nice people, isn't that right? Very nice people. Yeah. And it amazed me at the time. I'm sure it did. <laughs> Well, we are uh, delighted to have you at PragerU and in the, in, the, in the better part of the country. Thank you so much.